This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Usman gets the job done. Volkanovski becomes the first Australian-born UFC champion. Amanda Nunes grinds out Durandame. Aldo loses and might get the next title shot. What a world! Rory McDonald heads to the PFL, and we are joined by Frankie Edgar, who headlines this weekend's card in Busan, South Korea, against the Korean Zombie. Charles Jordan also on the card against the Korean Superboy, Duho Choi, and Dominic Reyes joins us. He went face-to-face with his future opponent, the light heavyweight champion of the world, John Jones, just five days ago. He had never met John Jones prior to that, so I'm going to get his feelings on being face-to-face with the arguable GOAT. I think he's the greatest of all time, but a lot of people don't. John Jones. Last week, I actually went on Twitter and posted the resumes of John Jones and Max Holloway side-by-side at age 28. Of course, Max Holloway's uh, featherweight win streak came to a halt on Saturday, and we'll get to that a little bit later on. But I wrote that Jones was 16-1 and at the time, and you would have thought that I was putting out fake news, as they like to call it. The kids like to call it. The kids and the trolls. Fake news. But Joan Jones does have a loss on his record. I, I can't help these things, folks. I watched the fight with Matt Hamill. I'm not some you know, fair-weather fan, some fly-by-night MMA observer. I watched that fight. It was a bad stoppage. But there are lots of bad stoppages. There are lots of bad disqualifications. There are lots of bad decisions made by judges and by referees. It doesn't affect the record of those individuals in an official capacity. And I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry if you were offended by the fact that John Jones has a loss on his record. I actually asked John about it. I said, you know, all these people were upset with me that I said that you had a loss. And he said he was, you know, very thankful for having such passionate fans. But I'm not wrong. He has a loss on his record. It's a dumb loss. I agree. Steve Mazzagatti did a bad job that night. Nobody appealed it. I don't think. I can't remember if it was appealed. If it was appealed, it was, you know, the ruling was upheld. But we can't just create revisionist history because we feel like it and because John Jones, you know, stands out above the rest of the MMA world when it comes to having a bad decision on their record. There are a lot of people that have been robbed by judges that have been, you know, had referees stop their fights early. You don't go back. Is Aspen Ladd undefeated? Should Aspen Ladd be considered undefeated because of the stoppage that Herb Dean had when Jermaine Durandame hit her with that hook and she went down? Nobody talks about Nobody says that. Nobody says, oh, she's undefeated. So I'm sorry, folks. Anyways, there's a lot more important things to talk about right now, obviously, with a great card over the past weekend, UFC 245 at T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. Headlined by Kamaru Usman versus Colby Covington, one of the better title fights of the year delivers and it was exactly how I said it would go you know pat myself on the back with a little Barry Horowitz action I said that there weren't going to be any takedowns it was going to be a solely striking affair and whoever had the better day that day would win and that's what happened Kamaru Usman had the better day looked better landed the more powerful strikes inevitably at the end and those were the ones that put Colby Covington out in the last minute of the fight was it a bad stoppage? I don't think it was a bad stoppage. I think it was a questionable stoppage, but not one that I would, uh, it's not a hill I would die on. I think that we've seen a lot worse over the years. So when we see what's going on with 
that particular stoppage. And, you know, Colby's afterwards complaining to Mark Goddard and saying, ah, going online saying he's a fake referee, fake stoppage. Well, it was a real stoppage. Counts against his record like John Jones. But, uh, yeah, you could argue that it shouldn't have been stopped. He was going for a double and uh, Usman was hitting him with strikes. And maybe you give him a, a little bit more of a benefit of a doubt. But at the end of the day, we know what the star- scorecards were. We know how that round would have ended. I don't think Colby Covington would have gotten the takedown and you know landed enough ground and pound to win that round back. At like the best case scenario, that's what happens unless you know there's some sort of fluke knockout. But that fight was going to Usman anyways. Now that we know what the scorecards were, you know if Colby had been up four nothing on all the scorecards or three to one on all the scorecards, then maybe you look at it and say, "Wow, that that was bad." But it wasn't. It's just plain and simple. It was not bad. Could have been far worse. So Usman remains the welterweight champion of the world. And um, we uh, we saw what happened in that fight. And I think that we, you know, it's a fight we might see again in the future. I forgot to mention off the top. This is our last show, our last podcast of the year. That's uh, not a special. We're doing. I'm doing a special. End of year edition with uh, a bunch of journalists in the MMA sphere who are coming in. Alexander K. Lee of MMA Fighting. Matt Carsandu, who used to work at ESPN, does some work for the PFL now. Adam Martin. And I think Nick Baldwin's coming in, but I can't remember. But they'll be, uh, they'll be here tomorrow to go over the year that was in mixed martial arts. And I'm looking forward to that. That'll be fun. So uh, that'll be the actual last podcast of the year. But the reason I bring this up is because Joe is not here with me today. He's in uh, Netherlands for Glory Collision 2. So I'm closing out the year without Joe in studio. However, Joe Valtellini will be joining us on the phone to uh, close out the show. And uh, we will be making our final picks of the year as I try to chip away and uh, hopefully make some sort of comeback to, uh, to win. Against Joe, because Joe, I beat Joe last year, and I'd like to win again this year. So we'll see what how that goes. Likely won't go my way. I'm gonna have to take uh, some uh, some hail marys and hope for the best. But uh, yeah, so Joe will be with us later on, and we'll talk a little bit more about this two, UFC 245, uh, 245 card. But let me continue with Colby Covington because I put something out on Twitter that a lot of people got angry about. And uh, I'm not going to apologize for it because I don't owe anybody an apology. But I will expand on it a little bit. Now, what I had said basically was that the people that are basking in the loss of Colby Covington because of all the things that Colby Covington has done over the last couple of years to promote himself, uh, you know, taking the MAGA approach and uh, trying to create a divisive atmosphere, saying things that a lot of people deem to be racist, which uh, I don't know if they understand what racism is, but, uh, you know, saying things about Brazil and uh, the people in an arena in Brazil is not racist. You know, Brazil is not a race. It's a group of people. It's, you know, it's a country of people. But a lot of people thought that what he said was uh, was racist. I don't believe... I personally don't believe it is. But I do understand that if you do align yourself with uh, a certain type of politics, that people can construe it in that way. And I get that. that that's fine. So, I said that if you are basking in the loss of Colby Covington, you are basically playing into the narrative that he created. He wanted to become 
the biggest heel in the sport. He wanted people to cheer against him, and he had to know that had he lost eventually, whether it was to Lawler, whether it was to Rafael Los Angeles, or whether it was like what happened this past weekend, how it played out, him losing to Kamaru Usman, people were going to celebrate his demise because they have an emotional investment that he created by building this persona. And you are well within your right to cheer against him. And you're well within your right to call him whatever names you want or uh, to relish in him getting a broken jaw. You can do that. That's fine with me. But I'm also saying that it's fine with him. He is probably thrilled that you had an emotional investment and connected with him, whether good or bad. You know, whether he gave you some sort of reaction that was visceral in nature He's probably happy that you're celebrating his demise because that means that he was able to get you emotionally invested. Now, does that justify his actions? Absolutely not. Does that um, mean that you can't celebrate him losing because uh, of his actions? No, you're free to do whatever you like. I mean, this is a free country. This is a free, free play. You know, you have the freedom to do what you'd like. However, all I'm saying is that this was part of the script. He wanted you to hate him. He wanted you to cheer against him should he have lost. I don't think he thought he was going to lose, but obviously that is a real option when you're in mixed martial arts or any sport. There's winning and there's losing. And he knew that if he lost, people would rejoice. But that's all part of this character that he built. He wanted people to want him to lose because that got them to watch and that got them invested in this character that he built. And it is a character. Do, do I think that maybe he supports the Trump administration? Sure. But there are a lot of fighters that do. Cowboy Cerrone has said that he uh, supports Trump. Bryce Mitchell just two weeks ago said that he supports Trump and he'll beat you up if you don't like Trump. Nick Lentz supports Donald Trump. I believe Ben Askren supports Donald Trump. Now, they're not walking around with MAGA hats. They're not walking around with a copy of Triggered by Donald Trump Jr. I get that. But you do have to understand that what Colby Covington was doing was going from somebody who was on the outs with the promotion. I had been told this over a year ago that he was going to potentially have been released following that Dong Young Kim fight because they didn't like his fighting style and they didn't think he had any personality. So him and Dan Lambert, Dan Lambert being a massive pro wrestling fan, put their heads together. And I believe some other individuals like John Hartnett, who works at uh, American Top Team, Put their heads together. Bobby Lashley trains at American Top Team. He's a big wrestling guy. King Mo, I believe, was there at the time. Stevie Richards of the Blue World Order was his strength and conditioning coach. They all talked about how they could build Colby up and build this character. And they did it. And if you got upset by it, then you bought in. You were a mark. I hate to say it. You were a mark. Again, it doesn't justify any of the stuff that he's done. You know, if, if you think that he said something that was particularly offensive... The Glenn Robinson thing that he was doing, that where he was saying that Kamaru Usman played some sort of... I don't remember exactly how he said it, but he basically was making light of the death of Glenn Robinson, who uh, used to run the Black Zillions camp. I don't excuse that behavior. That's, I mean, we're talking about somebody who is a father. We're talking about somebody who was a father figure to a lot of these fighters. And for him to relish or make fun of the death of... Glenn Robinson, that's kind of unacceptable. Yeah, not kind of. It's unacceptable. But people, you know, he was doing things that was that was towing that line, that was walking a fine line between taste and distaste, untasteful and tasteful. 
or distasteful and tasteful, whatever you want to say, whatever the, the English language will, uh, will dictate. But be that as it may, and a lot of people were saying, well, you know, they were ripping me for saying this. If you were happy that he lost because of this character, you are, you know, you are essentially not understanding how pro wrestling gimmickry works. It's pro wrestling 101. Was a, you know, he was following a script. He, was, he ripped the Raiders last week. He went, the Raiders suck. Goes into Las Vegas. We're getting the Raiders next year. The Raiders suck. Have you heard that before? That's a new one. Calling a city a dump. Ravishing Rick Rude did it in the 80s. This, is, this isn't you know, reinventing the wheel here. This isn't rocket science. It was very obvious what he was doing. And if you choose to get offended by that, that's your prerogative and that's fine. I have no problem with it. I'm just saying that you might not want to take yourself so seriously in a promotional sport, a, a sports promotion that this guy's trying to market himself in and did a, a, an effective job. Now, I'm not going to congratulate the guy for that, but be that as it may, if he was, in fact, on the verge of getting cut, and I was told by a good source that he was, then he was able to save his job. He was able to go to the White House, which no other UFC fighter has done in the past, whether whoever the president is, whether it's Trump or, or Barack Obama or George W. Bush. None of them got to bring the belt to the White House. He did. Now, a lot of people wouldn't care, wouldn't want to meet President Trump. He did. And that was, you know, uh, probably a great moment in his life. He became an interim champion. You know, everybody's goal when they join the UFC is to become a champion. He became an interim champion. That'll always be in the record books. And a lot of that might have been because he was able to promote himself in a very negative fashion, no doubt, but was able to promote himself um, and come up with the ingenuity to make people recognize him and speak badly about him. That's all. Now you can celebrate his, you can celebrate him losing. That's fine. Just know that that was always a realistic possibility for him and a possibility that he embraced. That's all. That's all I'm saying. I'm not giving the guy a pass. I'm not uh, applauding him for coming up with this character and, uh, and being divisive. I'd like to congratulate Kamaru Usman because he was classy the whole way. Um, you know, him and his agent going after Colby Covington in a buffet line, probably not the best look, but, you know, Usman has always uh, been very classy in my eyes, aside from maybe, save for maybe that one incident. And uh, during fight week, he was cool, calm, and collected. Wasn't getting emotional. Wouldn't allow himself to get emotional. When the fans were chanting USA, while most people interpreted that as them considering him to be less than American... He said he felt they were cheering for him because he's an American citizen. He, he tried to be on the U.S. Olympic team for wrestling. Not the Nigerian Olympic team, the U.S. Olympic team. So he did not take offense to the fans chanting USA, even though in my, you know, from my interpretation, they were cheering that for Colby and not for him. Which, if you're in the cage and you're thinking that they're cheering that for your opponent and not you and you're an American, that can distract you. Didn't distract him. He embraced it. He relished it. He didn't get emotional with Colby Covington. Not at the stare-downs, nowhere. Didn't talk any trash really this week. Just said he was going to win and he was going to beat him. Nothing over the top. And he did. And he, he fought a great fight. Both of those guys, I thought, fought a great fight. But, uh, you know, cardio was not an issue for Usman. A lot of people hinted that cardio was going to be a problem. It wasn't. And it never has been, really. 
Obviously, it was never an issue for Colby Covington, but he started to, uh, I don't know if you can say he slowed down or he ran out of steam or maybe he was trying to take his foot off the gas because he thought he was up on the cards. Who knows? But uh, Usman was able to get him out of there. Became the second person to finish Colby Covington. First by knockout. And he does so with under a minute left in the fifth round. So he remains the welterweight champion of the world. And what next for him is anyone's guess because you got Leon Edwards who was looking to get a fight with Tyron Woodley and that hasn't come together yet. Maybe he's uh, an option. You've got Jorge Masbel, who's looking for bigger things than a UFC championship, wants money, wants a big money fight, maybe a Conor McGregor fight, maybe a Nick Diaz fight. That's uh, on his radar. I don't think Woodley's going to get the title shot. I think Colby Covington has to recover from this broken jaw. Although if they give him a rematch, it wouldn't, be, uh, it wouldn't bother me. I think it would probably bother a lot of other people. He probably needs to win one more before that happens. So there are, uh, there are options for Mr. Usman, and I think that uh, he's beaten three of those four options. The only guy he hasn't beaten of those options is Jorge Masvidal, and so I think that's probably the most intriguing matchup, but it doesn't seem like his team wants that. So if that's the case, then maybe you give Edwards the next shot, and I think Edwards has certainly earned it. It seems like beating Rafael Tazanjos is the way to get a title shot in the UFC, and he just did that. It's exactly what Covington did. It's exactly what uh, Usman did, and they, uh, Covington won the interim title. By beating him, Usman won the, got a shot at the undisputed title by beating Rafael Los Santos. So we have the, uh, the blueprint for how to enter title contention, and uh, Leon Edwards just followed it. And I spoke to Leon Edwards uh, over the weekend, and he, uh, he was a little bit frustrated that uh, the paperwork wasn't getting signed by uh, Tyron Woodley. So there you have it. Max Holloway loses to Alexander Volkanovsky in the five-round decision. That uh, was a fairly lopsided fight. I mean, two of the judges had it 48-47, but the, uh, I don't know if it was that close. I don't know if it was that close. However, after the fight, I said that uh, Holloway should get an instant rematch, and a lot of people disagreed with that. They said, you know, this was too lopsided. But if you look at the resume at featherweight that Holloway has built up, was it 13 straight featherweight fights? Maybe I think it's 12, if you don't count the clay collar fight, which was technically a catchweight, but you got that, beats Jose Aldo twice, beats Frankie Edgar, beats Brian Ortega. These are great wins. I think you have to give him an immediate rematch. I just think that at age 28, he's going to keep getting better. Didn't get finished in the fight. They gave Aldo the instant rematch against him. They gave Aldo an interim title shot after he lost to McGregor. I think that Max Holloway has earned that respect and has earned an immediate title shot. I think he's done more than enough to justify that. So that's where I stand on that one. And I thought Alexander Volkanovsky put on a show. Those leg kicks were, you know, you don't see fighters utilize leg kicks as well as as a guy like Volkanovsky has in MMA. That win over Aldo utilized the leg kicks well. This particular win, the leg kicks were key. And uh, he also landed probably some of the better punches of the fight as well. But I do think that uh, we do need to see Holloway versus Volkanovski run back, and that's, uh, that's what I would vote for if I, uh, if I had any say. We also don't have a real number one contender for the featherweight title. You know, you've got Korean Zombie against Edgar this weekend. If Edgar wins, I mean, Edgar probably moving to bantamweight anyway, so you, can, you, know, you knock off a challenger. And you've got Zabit, who had a pretty unconvincing win against Calvin Cater. So, uh, you know, you could argue that Zabit should get it. I don't know. Ortega is coming off that loss. He hasn't fought since. He's got injured towards ACL recently. So I think Holloway's probably the the one to make, man. I think you got to you got to do it that way. 
You've got to give Holloway the respect he's earned over the years. Holloway finishes 1-2 and two in 2019. Who would have saw that coming? And then Amanda Nunes against Jermaine Durandame. Jermaine Durandame had some moments of success in this fight, but, uh, you know, if you look at the big picture, this was one-way traffic almost for Amanda Nunes. She won uh, a good chunk of fight. Probably, uh, I think she had control for over, like, 20 minutes of the fight. You know, she just did what she had to do. If you have a massive advantage on the ground, you take advantage, and that's what she did. Who's to say she wouldn't have had an advantage on the feet? Doesn't matter. She didn't want to find out, and I think that that was the right way to do it. If you have got a high fight IQ, you want to retain your belt. She did it in that fashion, and uh, I think she looked good in the process. Who's next as anyone's guest for Nunes? Wow. Probably going to be a featherweight fight, and now you've got two fights that have been made that are taking uh, place in Norfolk, Virginia. I believe it's on February 29th. Norfolk, Virginia? Norfolk, Virginia? I don't know how to pronounce it. But uh, you got Felicia Spencer against... Uh, Zaren Farah, Zaren Dos Santos, I believe is her name, who had just lost to Megan Anderson. You got Megan Anderson welcoming Norma Dumont to the UFC. So whoever looks best out of those two fights will probably get the title shot. Now, I do think that, uh, you know, if Spencer beats Megan Anderson, has beaten Megan Anderson, and the person that Megan Anderson just beat probably would lean in her direction. I actually think that's a, a kind of a tough fight for Nunes, given what we saw her do against Cyborg. And uh, even though she lost to Cyborg, I still think that Felicia Spencer versus Nunes is a very intriguing matchup. Now, uh, Megan Anderson hopefully has shored up her ground game a little bit. She looked good on the ground in her last fight, but, uh, you know, you could see Amanda Nunes utilize that same game plan that she did this past weekend against Megan Anderson if they were to meet. Speaking of Megan Anderson, she did a great interview this past week on uh, Ariel Helwani's show in studio. Very, very um, personal interview, talking about her issue with issues that uh, have surrounded her mental health, her upbringing. Very, very honest and upfront interview, and uh, I will always look at uh, Megan Anderson in a different light in the future. She's a survivor and continues to be day after day uh, for what she's gone through and what she's been able to overcome to become a high-level professional athlete. Jose Aldo fights Marlon Moraes. Three-round fight goes the distance. Most people thought that Aldo won the second and third rounds. Most people gave Marais the first round. I think everybody pretty much gave Marais the first round. But uh, two people that didn't think that Aldo won the fight were the fly, uh, sorry, flyweight and bantamweight champion, Henry Cejudo, and uh, Dana White, the UFC president, who basically says he's going to be looking at this as if it was a, ri- a win. And Cejudo has called Dana White and said, that decision was BS. I think that Aldo won, and I want to fade him next. And that might happen, which is shocking. Because A, if you're looking at the best performances you got to look at Peter Yan. I mean, Peter Yan dominated Uriah Faber and uh, nearly had a doctor stoppage and then finally got the finish in the third round. But Peter Yan put on a show, and then you have a close fight between Aldo and Rice, two higher-level guys, mind you. But, I mean, you got to give the shot to Peter Yan, in my opinion. Peter Yan looks like a dangerous, dangerous man. Now, whether Suhudo is asking for Aldo because he knows that's a safer fight, I, you know, I don't, wanna, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's that or if it's just because it's a much bigger name. Peter Yan has made a name for himself, but, you know, among the casual fan, you know, that's what, uh, what people know. And finally, uh, out of the blue, Rory McDonald signs with Bellator MMA. Now, this is a shocker for me. You know, I saw this pop up on Ariel Helwani's Twitter, and I had to make sure that he had the little blue check mark because this just came out of the blue. Like, I had no idea that A, Rory was a free agent, and that B, 
He could just go over to the PFL. Like, wouldn't there have been some sort of 90-day matching clause or something? Because he's fought within 90 days, if I'm not mistaken. He definitely fought within 90 days. So I'm curious to hear on Ariel Hawani's show what happened. But uh, interesting that he would decide to go to the PFL. I don't know if the UFC was an option or if, you know, Bellator said, you know, we'll release you as long as you don't sign with the UFC. I have no idea what ended up happening. I do know that when I spoke to Rory when he was in studio, I think it was like a year ago, or maybe even earlier this year, it was before the John Fitch fight. He had said something along the lines uh, to me that, you know, that he had an issue with Bellator that they had resolved. Now, I don't know if more issues had come about, but um, it does seem like they wanted him to fight a little bit faster than he should have for that finale against uh, Douglas Lima. But uh, I will say that Rory McDonald in the PFL, I mean, who's going to beat that guy in the PFL? At least in Bellator, you could look and say, hey, maybe, you know, Douglas Lima could probably beat him. Maybe Michael Page. I don't know. There's a lot of good welterweight talent. Now the question is, who's going to beat Lima in Bellator? I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this is, uh, I think, a fast track to a million dollars for Roy McDonald. I don't know who's going to beat him at 170. You got Ray Cooper. Um, you got uh, last year's winner, whose name is uh, escaping me right now. Magomed Magomed Sharapov? No, Magomed Magomed Karimov, maybe. I think that's the guy. But uh, either way, I think that Rory probably should be the front runner to win that tournament next year as a result. That being said, uh, I, I was shocked. I just I couldn't believe that news when I saw it come down. It's surprising to me. I think that uh, Rory going to PFL is interesting. I'm uh, surprised that he wants to continue his MMA career if it's not going to be with Bellator. I thought that you know perhaps it was dwindling down. I guess it's like you know he's waiting for. Uh, a chance to get out, but instead he wants to fight in the PFL. You know, Fraz told a funny story uh, that he wanted to fight in Lethway before he signed with Bellator. He's like, yeah, I just, just want to get one Lethway fight down. Like, that's that's who Rory McDonald was, and I just think he's changed a little bit. I think that he's become more of a family man. He's got two kids now. He's become very devoted to Christianity. So it is interesting The fighting still priority, but hey, you have the chance to make a million dollars. It's hard to turn down. It certainly does uh, make it look like the PFL is planning to do another season. I think that uh, them signing Rory McDonald is certainly uh, a positive in that direction. And you can catch the finale on TSN, December 31st, the last PFL, the final tournaments, or tournament finales, rather. That's always a great card, that December 31st card, because there's, it's basically the best of their best. So that's going to be interesting to watch. So congratulations to Rory McDonald heading to the PFL. Very, very surprising. Now, this weekend, we've got a card in uh, Busan, South Korea, and it's got a lot of uh, really high-level talent on it, uh, headlined by Frankie Edgar, taking the fight on short notice against the Korean zombie, Chan Sung Jung. You've got uh, three Canadians on the card, Charles Jordan against Duho Choi, Tanner Bozer against uh, Cyril Gane, who's kind of an, uh, you know, an honorary Canadian. He was the champion at TKO. And you've got Marc-Andre Berrio. So of Berrio, Gane, and Jordan, they held five of the division titles in TKO, but they've never fought on the same card together, which is surprising. And you'll learn, you'll learn that in the interview that I'm doing with Charles Jordan later on in the show. But first, we want to talk to the main event competitor who did take the final on short notice. That is Frankie Edgar, and he uh, joins us now on the TSN MMA show. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to introduce this week's guest. I'm joined now by the answer, Frankie Edgar. Uh, Frankie's in South Korea, short turnaround fight. 
for uh, Chan Sung Jung, who you were originally supposed to face for the 25th anniversary fight. How quickly has this happened? Does it seem like this has just gone gone by like a blur to get here? Yeah, for sure. I felt like uh, it found out I was going, and I had to start packing my bags to get out of here. So, um, yeah, you know, when I got the opportunity, I jumped all over it. So what's the plan for you at the moment? Uh, we saw a lot of different dominoes fall at 135 over the weekend. Uh, you were planning on going there. This opportunity came about. You took it. Um, where, where are you going from here? I'm going this Saturday, the 21st, dealing with Korean Zombie. That's the only thing I'm thinking of right <laughs> now. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, he's a, it's a tall task fighting zombie here in his home country, and uh, my sole focus needs to be on that. Yeah, it's a tall task facing him in any country, let alone in South Korea. Uh, your current exactly. weight, are you lighter than normal, uh, given that you were you were starting to trim down for 135? Oh, about what I always am, I guess. Um, it may have been a little bit lighter. Uh, I'm, probably, I'm, I'm probably where I want to be. I'm never too, I'm never too big, so I'm where I usually am. Well, like I mentioned, the roadmap was to 135. Uh, that's where you had sh- shifted your focus. This opportunity came about. Why was it intriguing uh, and so intriguing that you were willing to kind of throw that plan out the window for now? I wanted to get two fights in this year. Um, I was trying to fight in November, and then I was trying to fight earlier in December, and uh, both of those fell through. And, you know, Zombie, me and him were supposed to get down about a year ago, and I just thought, you know, let's uh, – Let's, let's make it happen. Um, you know, I pretty much prepared for him a, a whole camp. I have a whole camp under my belt from uh, last year, and um, kind of wanted to just make sure he got to fight in his home home country. It's it's strange. A lot of these fighters, like yourself and and like Brian Ortega, who you replaced, were having a lot of issues getting fights when they wanted them. Um, Brian Ortega wanted to fight in like July, August. Uh, obviously, if he was going to be matched up with Korean Zombie, this was the likely destination, given that this card was in Korea. Uh, why do you think it's so difficult for certain fighters to be getting fights? I know if you wanted to fight twice a year, you've been a great company guy. Uh, what, what's been the issue? Uh, I just think sometimes the opponent, um, sometimes it's the timing. You know, you, you want to make sure you make the right decisions and whatnot and not just jump to anything. But, uh, I mean, you know, there's just a lot of moving parts in the UFC, and, and sometimes it's tough to make stuff happen. Now, you mentioned that your focus, obviously, is on the Korean Zombie, but you did have a match up, uh, booked with Corey Sanhagen, I guess, in about a month's time, a month or month and a half. Um, do you still plan on facing him? Has a replacement been selected as far as you know, or is that opportunity still there if you want it? Uh, honestly, I really don't know if the replacement's hat. They're looking for a replacement or what. Uh, like I said, I'm really just focusing on, on uh, Saturday, but, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not a... I never say die type of person, so who knows what will happen. Um, but I, I got I to, gotta, you know, I got to take care of business first. Has anything changed with you in 145? Max lost this past weekend. Uh, you've never faced Alexander Volkanovsky. This is a little bit of, an, of a window opening for you. Do you think of it that way at all? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. could be. Definitely could be. But, uh, you know, I see they want to rematch, have to rematch me, Max and Alex. And I think that's uh, Max. Anybody deserves it's Max. Um Alex seems like he's he's open to that too as well. So uh, you know, I'm not really thinking of uh, anything too far, 45 or 35. I'm just worried about Saturday, and I know it's a little redundant saying it over and over, but you know that's kind of where my focus needs to be. What did you think of Marlon Moraes' performance over the weekend, your former teammate? I thought it was great. I thought it was a great performance. You know, Marlon um, went out there and, and got the job done. It was a very close fight. Uh, I thought Marlon had one and three. Uh, Aldo did push, but I thought Marlon ran with the more punches. Um, but again, I, I, it was a close fight. But uh, you know, maybe I'm biased. Marlon's my guy. Uh, you know, I thought that round one was his for sure, and round two was even close. Um, but round three, I thought Marlon landed the better punches. 
are people like are calling it a robbery being short sighted? I mean, there's a difference between a close fight that man eh, maybe you thought it could have gone either way and and a, a robbery. Uh, those people are alarmists, I guess. In your opinion, I would I I would agree with with that personally. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've been on on the end of uh, of some fights that were super close that uh, maybe I thought was a robbery, but other people didn't. And uh, and I get it. I get where both guys are coming from. Um, that's the nature of the sport. Um, you know, and, and, and I like Marlon's outtake. He's like, hey, you want to do it again? Let's run it back. Why was the Korean Zombie such an intriguing matchup for you? You had trained for him before. Is that why this was kind of a seamless transition? Yeah, that. I wanted to get this fight in. Um, and, you know, I mean, he, he's a legend in, in this sport. Uh, his style is, is very fun. You know, I mean, the dude's called a zombie for a reason. And uh, I want to go out there and, and prove I can put him away. Going back to Marlon, do you miss having him in your camp? Uh, he's moved out to Florida with uh, Barboza, who you probably also used to train with. Um, is having, I guess, less bodies like that around you um, hindering anything, or is, is it kind of just uh, all systems go regardless? Yeah, all systems are go, but uh, you know, not having a guy like Marlon is, is definitely a, 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 you know something that that we that we you know would like to have. <laughs> you know, he's one of the best fighters in the world. It's not the best at thirty-five. And um, he's a friend of mine, too. So, yeah, of course I miss having him. We still stay in touch. I'm sure we're going to train together in the future as well. Uh, you know, you just have to do things, do the right thing for the family. You can bring the family out to Florida, go to Disney, and then, you know, go out to Coconut Creek. I know it's a, whatever, about a five-hour drive, and then train with Marlon and, uh, and Barboza again for old time's sakes. Exactly, exactly. You know, we're, like I said, we're still, we're still family. You know, I, I consider those guys family. Um, like I said, I talked to Marlon the whole lead up to his fight. He's been in touch with me out here, and um, you know, he, he uh, I'm, I'm very happy for him. As mentioned, Korean Zombie's very, uh, like you said, a very diverse striker. Uh, was having Zabit in your camp uh, a big help in that regard? Yeah, you know, I was I was able to help spar Zabit, get to help him get ready a little bit for uh, his last fight. So yeah, having a guy like Zabit is is obviously a, a, a gem to have in camp. Um, there's not too many people in the world that are like to beat, especially with his height and range and his just, you know, the various attacks. One person that shares DNA with him is his brother Hassan, who just had his uh, debut. What kind of ceiling does this kid have? Yeah, Hassan is, is, is the, you know, I said the beat the future. This guy's the, the, the future of the future. You know what I mean? And uh, it's, uh, it's just kind of it's kind of amazing that they, they keep turning out the fighters like that over there. One strange thing that came from this past weekend's cards that uh, Dana mentioned that he th- he's thinking Aldo might get the next title shot against Cejudo. That's who Cejudo wants to face. Cejudo felt that Aldo won that fight. Would that be uh, basically a miscarriage of justice given that uh, Marlon was ranked number one, won the fight on the judges' scorecards? It was a close fight, as we discussed. Uh, do you see that as a viable possibility? I mean, Dana's the boss, you know what I mean? And uh, Cejudo seems like he likes it, but uh, yeah, I-, I don't think that's the right move. But again, I'm not Dana. Um, you know, we'll see. And 35 has a lot of good fighters right now, and I don't know if Aldo uh, deserves that shot right away. I mean, Aldo, what he's done in his career, he's got such a name that he could, he could, you know, it, it is almost viable that they can make that happen. But um, you know, I, I think that'd be uh, a slap in the face of some other guys, maybe. And uh, finally, Piotr Jan looked great in that fight against Uriah Faber. Um, what can you say about him? I, I think that if anybody can get the next title shot, he probably is the one that should be the front runner. Yeah, you know, he definitely did look very good. Uh, you know, I, I thought I thought Uriah looked pretty good early on, and then uh, you know maybe Uriah stopped moving his feet a little bit, and, and yeah, took, took you know full advantage of that. Uh, he possessed a lot of power, a lot of skills uh, in his hands and feet. Um, yeah, he, he's a stud, a stud as well. 
What have you thought about Korea so far? I know you fought in Asia in the past, but I, I don't recall you fighting in Korea previously. Yeah, it's my first time in Korea. I'm enjoying it, man. The food's good. The people are pretty nice. Uh, we're in the middle of the city. It's pretty happening. So, uh, you know, I'm just taking it all in, man. It's, uh, I'm all about experiences in this life. And, uh, you know, this is another experience to add, add to everything else. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I mean, as your career dwindles down, you know, Jermaine Duranime this past week was saying that the window for a fighter is just so small that getting to experience things like this must be, uh, you know, a really cool thing to do. Did your family come with you at all? Uh, no, my family couldn't come out, actually, just because of the short notice and all, but uh, my wife is uh, on her way. She'll be here uh, tomorrow. And the kids are staying home? Kids are staying home. It's a little bit too far of a flight, especially, uh, you know, some of my kids are animals, so <laughs> I'm not trying to torture everyone else on that flight. And, of course, uh, I'm, I imagine a big selling point of this is that you get to eat on Christmas. You, can, you, know, you don't need to worry about anything like that. Uh, was that part of the deal? It doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt that I get to kind of, you know, uh, collect a check, the, you know, a couple of days before Christmas and, um, you know, enjoy, enjoy my family and not have to worry about, a, you know, a fight so, so close. Yeah, a couple of Xboxes for the boys, I'm sure, uh, will um, make sure that their feelings are not hurt uh, with you taking this fight on short notice. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, Frankie. Well, best of luck on Saturday and uh, happy holiday to you and yours. And uh, I always appreciate speaking with you. All right. Thanks, man. Have a great Christmas, brother. Take care. That was the answer, Frankie Edgar. A very good interview with him where he kind of gives you his mindset right now. And uh, very, very interesting to hear from him. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, Charles Jordan also on the card. A huge opportunity for him to face Duho Choi here uh, in, I think, the people's main event. This is going to be a great striking battle between two young guys. Uh, I posted today that Duho hasn't had a win um, sorry, the last time he had a win, Alexander Volkanovsky, the new featherweight champion, wasn't even in the UFC yet. So it's been a while since Duho's had a win. He did do his mandatory um, military service, which I think he might even still be doing. But uh, he hasn't had a win. He's lost two in a row. But uh, he's a big favorite against Charles Jordan, and uh, Charles Jordan now joins us on the TSN MMA show. I'm joined now by Charles Jordan facing Duho Choi. Big challenge for you uh, in Busan, South, uh, South Korea. I was going to say South Carolina. Uh, though, Charles, I've noticed uh, in some of your pictures, it looks like you're starting to get some gray hairs. Are you getting very stressed out about this fight or something? <laughs> I've had gray hairs since I started <laughs> fighting. I'm a super stressed individual, but uh, it's helping me uh, be sharp. The, the, the only fight that wasn't stressed is uh, the fight against Desmond Green, and I lost. So I need, I need more stress in my life. Give me more stress. <laughs> Did you say you're a super stressed individual usually? Uh, yeah, but mostly when it, when it comes to fighting. Uh, other circumstances, I deal with them very easily. But fighting, I'm, I'm super stressed. Like for the past three or four days, uh, I've been having so much trouble sleeping, and I need to, to uh, relax. I need to find my, my zen point. But Stress is a good factor for, for, for fighting. We need that. We need that extra pressure. It's helping us get stay sharp. But, uh, yeah, too much gray hair. That I don't like. <laughs> but really, what's, what's keeping you up at, at night? Uh, you know, thinking I'm going to travel, thinking I'm facing a superstar over there. Uh, what happened if I lost? What happened if I win? And uh, You know, you're making scenarios. You're making stuff up. You're, uh, basically, you're not living in the moment when you're stressed. You're living in the past or you're living in the future. So I need to, to find my, my center point and, you know, be in the moment. That, that's what I need. Do you think this is something that a lot of fighters experience? They just don't talk about it that often? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the famous Conor McGregor, one, he had an interview with Tony Robbins and he said, you know yourself so you can know others. He said, I know how I feel, so I know how you feel. So if I feel like that, mostly like 
probably like 80% of the fighters feel the same way. We, we, but, it, you know, it's, it's like the, the super strong man game. No, I'm not stressed. I'm made for this. I'm born for this, da, da, da. But deep inside, I, I know you're stressed. You, you can see it in the guy's face and in the interviews and everything before the fight. You know, they're more cranky and everything. But uh, the more they get experience, the less stress they have. But you, you still have this pressure, I, I think. It's kind of good to confront that though before the fight because I imagine once you get in there, all that stress kind of goes away because you're, you know, now, oh, now you have your challenge in front of you. Yeah, yeah. You, you, the way I see it is when when you're like doing press and everything, you're like the 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 soldier, you're like the the, the, the you know the, the good guy who's trying to, to 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 play nice and play confident and everything. But once you're inside the cage, you're a monster. You need to unleash everything you had in, uh, inside of you, uh, conquer your fears, conquer everything, and just be that monster like let everything go so uh of course i'm stressed but once they lock that cage i feel 100 free the only time i didn't feel free was that when i felt felt the first pressure of the ufc you know i was wearing those ufc gloves and i had desmond green coming up people were screaming at me very mean things but <laughs> that was part of the the being the 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 the, the, the guy who was not in his home so uh yeah uh, so I dealt with pressure absolutely the the worst way. I cracked under it, and uh, I, I need to to be better and not make sure I, I don't crack under pressure in the, against the Duo Choi in, in Busan. What's your biggest fear as a fighter? Uh, that's that's a good question. I never. Uh, I, I'm not scared to get knocked out. Uh, I, I hate some very good punches in my my other fights, and I never had this fear of uh, with. It's not a fear, but it's like a, a not a fantasy of mine, but something I, I never got beaten down by someone who just walking me because you know I'm a I'm a, a late game fighter. You know, as 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 the fight goes, I get better, and the guys have a tendency to go uh, they get they get worse because of the the fatigue and everything. But I I want to meet that guy who's gonna walk me down, and I'm gonna be able like okay, I need to dig deeper because uh, I never had this feeling. And uh, I think it's super scary to have a guy like when you're absolutely dead and the guy's screaming at you like, come on, and just hitting you. And so my worst fear is like actually one of my fantasy. I want someone to walk me down and scream at me and say, hey, come on, give me more. And I have to dig deep to overcome it. So that that, that would be, uh, that's like my fear and my fantasy at the same time. Well, Duho Choi might be that guy. <laughs> I mean, we've seen him do it before. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But the the problem with this is uh, I think Duho Choi is a very early starter, but maybe I'm 100% wrong. Maybe that, that like, uh, two two years break uh, 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 helped him, or maybe it, it got him worse. I don't know. I, I have no expectation. But uh, from what I saw in most of his fights, he's, uh, he's very good uh, for the first three uh, three minutes, and he's very, very good when you let him... him uh, walk you down but when it comes to pressure like jeremy stephens put on him after two rounds he was so exhausted and uh you see the difference against uh, uh cobb swanson where Choi was putting pressure a lot putting pressure putting pressure putting pressure like and uh he had he had a very good gas tank for the whole three rounds but when it comes to jeremy stephens just heating blows and just giving it back uh Choi had had the problem with it so so i uh, i need to not make uh, expectation from him saying, "Oh, he's gonna have ring wash. He's gonna, he's gonna do this. He's gonna do that." I don't know. It's been two years since he, since he uh, hasn't fought. Maybe he changed his whole arsenal. Maybe he's way better. Maybe he's way worse than he was. 
So uh, I don't know. It's going to be a, a surprise. Yeah, I was going to mention that to you when you mentioned that you're kind of a late starter when, you, when you're at your best later in the fight. He is the opposite from what I've seen. He's he's very very fast out of the gate, and then if you are able to kind of withstand that, uh, you know, his opening uh, pressure, then you have a bit of an advantage. But uh, like you mentioned, he's been yeah. in the military for the last two years or whatever it is. I'm sure he's learned <laughs> stamina, learned better cardio, learned how to deal with certain pressure. Absolutely. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. But uh, w- one thing I, I realized when the when I took a little time off uh, from fighting, when I get back to it, and it was like the first low kick I got, and it was like maybe two, three years ago, I got a low kick, and I was like, why am I doing this? Why? I could be at home. I could be. I could do 100 other things right now. So maybe that ring rust, when he's going to get a kick, say like, I don't know, on the ribs or on the forearms or everything, he's going to be like, you know what? That military thing was not that bad. <laughs> So uh, I don't know. It, it could be uh, it could be super positive for me or super negative. One thing I wanted to ask you about is your uh, your manager Stefan Patry, who runs uh, TKO, has had yeah. uh, some health issues lately. Uh, how's he doing? Uh, a lot better, but you know when when you call him, you know he, he, I think he's, he needs to do some naps. Uh, but he's a he's a overworker. He never stops working because. You know, when we were uh, when he got his illness, we needed to give him the information about Busan, we, the cornerman, everything. He was calling everybody, meeting, a dinner, at this and then that. So this guy needs to learn how to sleep, but he's a, a work machine. So so uh, he need he needs to uh, uh, take it easy. But he's going to be with us actually in uh, Busan. But he's feeling a lot better uh, than he was like two months ago. And uh, I'm I'm super happy that that he is going to be with us. That's why I was alarmed when I heard that a TKO event got postponed because I know that Stefan, like, it would have to be really bad for him to postpone the event. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And my little brother Louis was fighting on this card also, so uh, sad. That, that was kind of sad for him. But you know, he, he understood, and uh, TKO is going to be back in 2020. Louis is going to be there, and uh, I can't wait for my little brother to to fight. Is he coming with you to South Korea? Yeah, absolutely. He's going <laughs> to be there uh, on the 15. I'm leaving on the 10. In, in him and uh, Pat, my other. Uh, uh, Cornerman, they're, they're going to leave on the 15th to, 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 to Busan. Have you been to Asia before? Yeah, I, I went to South Korea, actually. I went to Japan. I went to, but mostly uh, because uh, I had flight connections when I was going to Thailand. So uh, I visited a couple of uh, cities, uh, Hong Kong, a uh, uh, couple of cities in Japan, because mostly of our, most of our layovers were there. So already been, and, but it's going to be my first time really visiting Korea. You'd mentioned that uh, you were a little bit put off by people in Rochester that were uh, cheering, I guess, saying bad things about you on your way to the cage. Um, <laughs> were there any hesitations in that regard when you took a fight here in South Korea? I mean, you're going to be facing Duho Choi in his backyard. Yeah, but it, like, like I said, uh, I think, uh, I don't know if you can say Asian community, or uh, I don't know what's politically correct or not, but uh, like uh, people from Asia mostly... Uh, they're more respectful towards martial art because it's more a tradition over there than it is in America. And America is more of a show. And uh, like, you know, K1, and I'm a big fan of K1. And in K1, you know, the, they, they, they never cheer too much. They applaud when there's a great technique that's been done. And uh, I think it's going to be different. But I need to feel this pressure once again because, you know, I, I, I cannot say, oh, no, no, I only want to fight in Canada because I cracked under pressure. No, if you're a fighter, you need to learn from it. And uh, I need to prove people that uh, I can be the conqueror also. I can be the guy who's coming to the other guy's backyard and say, hey, I'm the man. 
and uh, that that's what I need to do. And, and uh, against a dual choice, that's what I, I I need to be sure I learned from the fight uh, against uh, Desmond. Now I'm not sure if the UFC thinks that it's a short flight from Canada to South Korea, but you've also got Mark Andre Barrio and Tanner Bozer on this card. Um, what, yeah. What's what's going to be like having two Canadians there with you? Is that good good to know, especially with a guy like Mark Andre who speaks French? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're gonna we can, we can, we're gonna speak French, and uh, that that's gonna be awesome because in Korea we don't know uh, that much that much that much word. Sorry. And uh, the, by the way, Tanner Bozer is fighting Cyril Gann, and Cyril Gann was the TKO heavyweight right. champion. Mm-hmm. I was the featherweight champion and the lightweight champion, and Barrio was the light heavyweight and uh, uh, light heavyweight and uh, what's below that? Yeah, uh, and uh, the, well, and the uh, middleweight champion. Yeah, middleweight, exactly. So it's like so, five divisions. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Have all yeah. three of you fought on the same card before? Yeah, um, yeah, I fought. Uh, yeah, yeah, many times with uh, Marc Andre, and one time uh, I fought on the same card as uh, Cyril Gann. And oh. uh, so, yeah, that's going to be nice. Cyril Gann is a super nice guy. All this team, uh, uh, which one of the guys I fought for the 155 title was Damien Lapilus, and yes, his I brother was in the UFC. Uh, yeah, so. It's going to be amazing to know these guys. I don't know Tanner Buzzer. I saw him once, I think, uh, when they made the ACB fight. Uh, but uh, no no personal connection with him. But Cyril Gann and Marc-André Barrio, I'm super happy that I'm going to uh, know some people over there. Absolutely. Yeah, that'll that'll probably ease some of the pressures. Um, and I know that Marc-André yeah. is managed by uh, Stefan as well. Is, is, is Cyril managed yeah. by Stefan? Is what? Is Cyril Gane uh, managed by Stefan as well? Uh, that I don't know, but I, I, yeah, I think so. I think Stefan is uh, handling uh, every of the papers and everything, making making it uh, easier for them. Also, like he does for me and uh, Marc Andre. So uh, yeah, I think so. And uh, finally, uh, before we wrap this up, um, we've got a bit of a change to the main event. Uh, Torn ACL takes Brian Ortega out of the main event against the Korean Zombie. Did uh, they approach you in any way, or perhaps your opponent, about uh, filling that role, or did, did you want to keep this particular fight? Yeah, but, uh, but for me, if they would have said, "Hey, you want to fight a five-round fight?" That was mostly the the, the biggest point because you know, like I said, I'm a I'm a late late guy. Uh, I'm a late late uh, late round fighter, so I would have said, "Yeah, 100 percent." Like if it, if they give me uh, the the Korean zombie, it would have been amazing. But you know, uh, I'm in no position to ask for it, uh, and I know that. So uh, if if they would have come up with it, I would have said yes, 100 uh, percent. But uh, it would have been like bad for uh, Duo Choi. Like if I was fighting, I don't know, a Russian guy or a Brazilian guy, it would have made more sense. But you know, I'm already fighting one of the top superstars from Korea, so I would have been surprised. So they didn't tell me uh, anything yet. But um, um, if they tell, they tell me you want a main event five round against Choi, I'm like 100%. That's what I want, please. But uh, you know. I can keep dreaming. <laughs> well, the rumor is that um, they're looking at uh, Jeremy Stevens or Frankie Edgar, the the two names that have come up. Wow. But it would be interesting, though, because the Koreans, because it's a five round fight. Maybe they would want to give, you know, put Duho in the main event for five rounds. But because the opponent that's stepping in would, probably wouldn't be ready for five rounds. But uh, yeah, that's yeah, the, the strong rumor right now is that Frankie Edgar is going to be the uh, the person that fills in. Uh, Frankie Edgar is good to do five rounds. <laughs> yeah, he should be fine. I think he's, good. <laughs> he's in camp right now, anyways. <laughs> all right <laughs> all right charles <laughs> well thank you for this i appreciate it uh best of luck um i probably won't speak to you, uh speak to you until uh after the fight but uh until then best of luck against uh duho choi in korea right, and hopefully hopefully these fans yell at you in korean so you don't understand what they're saying <laughs> yeah thank you Ron. 
That was Charles Jordan. Great catching up with him as he fights in South Korea. And uh, headlining a card in February, UFC 237 in Houston, Texas, is Dominic Reyes taking on John Jones. Now, we saw these guys jawing back and forth at the press conference. I spoke to Dominic before the press conference. Now I get a chance to talk to him afterwards now that the dust has settled. And we saw the kind of John Jones that uh, we seldom see, the one that was very in-your-face, very direct, uh, and uh, you know, talking a lot of trash. And I want to hear Dominic Reyes, who's a generally laid-back guy, to see what he had to say about uh, seeing John Jones, meeting him in person. How big did he think John Jones looked in person? And uh, he joins us now on the TSN MMA show to give us his two cents on that matter. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to introduce this week's guest. I'm joined now by a man who will be facing John Jones in Houston, Texas this February, who came face-to-face with John Jones for the first time, as I understand, this past Friday. What were you thinking when you were face-to-face with John Jones for the first time? Uh, I was thinking, uh, that's it? (laughs) No, I was thinking, like, let's go, man. Hell yeah, this is it. This is... This is the moment, like, this is one of the moments, you know, my first time really being face-to-face with him ever, so that was cool. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was an intense stare-down. Now, I noticed beforehand he was, wasn't was wanting to be around you much when I, I was backstage and I was interviewing you, and it appeared that he he didn't want to come anywhere near you when you were doing your interviews. He wanted to kind of just take it easy and make sure you guys weren't in, in the general vicinity of one another. Did you notice that? Um, I didn't really notice that, but, uh, now that you mention it, yeah, I, I, I could see that. I was thinking you had never been face to face with them before. And I was hoping that I could see you guys get in close proximity and it just never happened. <laughs> yeah. It just never happened that way. Was he We're, bigger? Uh, keeping him professional backstage. When I'm next to John, he towers over me. He's a big guy. Did, did you think that he was bigger in person than you thought he would be? No. Um, six, four, six, four, you know, we're both the same height. Um, so, I mean, unless he grossly underestimated his, uh, height, I, w- I was expecting everything. What kind of stuff was he saying to you, uh, when you guys were staring off? Uh, <laughs> he was just, uh, he asked me if I, if I, if I thought, if I really thought I could beat him. Of course I replied, yes. <laughs> and, uh, he told me he's going to give me what I want. And I told him, uh, you're going to bring me the belt then, because that's what I want. And he didn't like that too much. And then he told me that I I, uh, I pissed off the wrong one. <laughs> well, John's not really used to being the big dog. He hasn't. I think you're only the second fighter that will face him that has been younger than him. So he's he's oh, wow. getting an opportunity to kind of be the big dog here. Do you think that that's what, uh, what he was trying to do when he was, uh, you know, I guess being kind of aggressive with you? Yeah, I mean, he's always, I mean... It seemed like he was trying to intimidate me with the face off and stuff and kind of get in my face and then come back and try to talk trash after the fact. You know, classic Jones talking crap when the cameras are off, you know. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, if I was him, I'd try to intimidate me too just to see what what I'm about, you know. It's my first title fight. I'm fighting John Jones, and I think he expected me to be like, oh, my God, you're John Jones. I'm fighting John Jones. What am I going to do? And I wasn't. I was like, all right, cool. Let's do this, man. You're a very laid-back guy by nature um, and not a trash talker that, I, that I've seen over the years. Um, <laughs> so were you surprised that he was coming at you that way on the, during the press conference? Because you probably were just like, okay, well, you know, answer some questions, hang out a little bit, talk about this fight. 
Yeah, I actually, actually, I didn't expect him to come that hard, to be honest, especially because I'm not really a trash talker. <laughs> I, yeah, uh, I didn't expect that. But uh, it went down the way it went down, and I, I adapted and handled it accordingly. Do you think he was trying to get an emotional reaction out of you and failed? I think he was, and I and I and he definitely failed. He he failed miserably if that's what he was trying to do. I thought it was funny. <laughs> well, it's kind of interesting. I don't think I've seen him go that hard at anybody, say for you know Daniel Cormier in Why a long time. Cormier, right? Yeah, yeah. He's gone after Cormier I mean, like that, but not nobody else really. <laughs> that's perfect. It's perfect. I got him right where I want him. Yeah, it makes you kind of wonder why. Like, why would he? Is he maybe just trying to get up for this fight? Maybe he's trying to create something so that because the the criticism on him for his last two fights against Smith and against Tiago Santos was that he wasn't able to really get up for them. It, you know, it didn't seem like he was really emotionally invested. Do you think that that he's doing that kind of for his own sake? Possibly either that or he saw it like like what he sees out of me is a guy that's not going to back down, a guy that's going to bring it, and he knows if he doesn't. If he's not prepared and if he tries to come out flat, then I'm going to exploit that. Now, obviously, as someone who's in the UFC, did you watch a lot of fights growing up? Like, it, was John Jones somebody who impressed you over the years? Or, and, and, you know, if so, how were you able to kind of put that aside? Um, so, yeah, I, I did watch a, a good amount of UFC growing up. And, I mean, I watched John's pretty much his entire rise and fall. You know, from being the guy that, you know, when he was pretending like he was this really good guy to being not a good guy, to all those things that I, you know, I've been watching from the beginning. And he's a guy that, you know, I I took a lot from his game. You know, I learned a lot from John over the years, and I, I, I admire him at, at one point. And, uh, yeah, fighting him, I mean, it's, for me, it's not like, oh, man, fighting John Jones is like, all right, this is the guy. This is like the perfect perfect guy for me to make you know my name off of, for me to break into the scene and become the champion. I mean, what better, what better guy to beat to become champion than John Jones, you know? For me, that's kind of how it is. It's like his name is worth so much to me. Well, and I guess as it should be, right? I, I think a lot of people consider him to be the greatest of all time. Um, are you among those people? Yes, uh, with an asterisk, of course, because you can't be the greatest of all time, you know, straight up, and you are, you're a known cheater. So that's, that is what it is. Well, when you call him a known cheater, I mean, USADA recently changed their legislation in terms of, uh, you know, picogram level findings um, that mm-hmm. don't really have any real performance-enhancing benefits and that's kind of the category he fell under now of course there was the other one before that well that was recently yeah that was on the most recent test yeah yeah that was the most recent but even before that you know he claimed that he had gotten a a pill of some sort for his from a friend of his that was the reason he tested positive the last time with the the sex pills yeah exactly yeah so (laughs) i mean when you say known cheater I, i guess he has been suspended for these things but can it be you know totally proven that he was indeed using performance enhancing drugs. That, that's the kind of the tricky thing for me because when people kind of, you know, people say that he's not the greatest because of using performance enhancing drugs, it's hard to include anybody from the pre-USADA age in that conversation then. Yeah, that, I mean, yes and no. 
not everybody from the pre-USADA age was popped for something. Regardless of whatever, pre, post-USADA, whatever, whatever, he still popped pot multiple times. And then, and yeah, and they're saying it's pulsing effect because he took something at one point and it's still in his system, like forever. So he essentially has performance, like PED herpes now. I don't know what's going on with that. I hope you didn't get too close so, to him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, it's always going to be there. You're always going to have that. Like, I take fish oil and I feel really good. So <laughs> you're telling me a P- whatever's in his system or was in his system or whatever. Uh, didn't do something to help him. I mean, it's kind of hard to believe. But it is what it is. I'm not focusing on that at all. I don't really care about that. I just, uh, just focusing on February 8th, man. Like, all that's the past. It really doesn't matter at all. And uh, what matters going forward is, you know, taking them out. What kind of strategy do you think you're going to employ? Do you have anything figured out just yet? Have you started breaking down tape or anything along those lines? Or are you the kind oh, yeah. of guy that's kind of more instinctive? No, we got we got a we got a full game plan. We got multiple game plans, and then I also have my instincts to uh, lean on if if that's the case. I mean, you always have a game plan going into a fight, and things change during the fight, so you have to adapt. But yeah, I think we got a good game plan going forward. Now you did suffer your first professional loss as a trivia contestant this past uh, yeah. last week. Uh, <laughs> do you have some fun? I was at the event. I, I don't know if you saw me there. I kind of was a little bit incognito, but you know I want to support Ariel and support you guys. And it was a fun show. Oh yeah. But uh, do you have you have fun at, at the trivia? You know it was oh, an time. unexpected person won time. for the second straight time. Yeah, I mean me and Derek were doing good, and then I got hung up on the the last names, and I I couldn't uh, spell a bunch of their names. <laughs> I lost, but it's all right. Yeah, you got to hand it to uh, Joanna, who ended up winning yeah. the whole thing. I, I was I was shocked, honestly. I would have put her well, aside from. Was, I probably would have given the Derek dog, the lowest right? odds. Sorry. Uh, she wasn't. You, so you think Derek was the biggest dog in that one? I think Derek would have been the biggest dog, personally. <laughs> Derek doesn't watch the fights, and I, and I knew knew that going in. He just doesn't watch them, so I figured he wouldn't know much <laughs> much of uh, what he was doing. But he figured it out. Dude, that was super fun. I, I had a great time. Well, hopefully you can get it back next time. Yeah, run it back. I've got to say, though, Stephen Thompson was the worst out of everybody that I'd seen in the two contests combined. Stephen Thompson also, really? yeah, he barely watches the fights. He doesn't have a very good memory. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was surprised by the, that. The N N F M F F. Yeah, NMF champion. Absolutely. He deserves it. He's a very nice. I mean, you're in the conversation, though, I must say. Yes, I mean, so far. <laughs> <laughs> as long as it's not in the cage. I mean, not anybody in the uh, UFC, they're not an NMF in the cage, but, you know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and finally, were you at the event? Did you, uh, were you sitting case yes. side or anything along those lines? Yes. So what did you it think? Was, what, did you, what did you think was, of the main event, specifically? Well, I mean, it, it was something to behold. I mean, those guys came out to, to really fight, and it was really, really cool to see. The thing that really got me... You know, it was it was really cool to see. Was Kobe came out and he was getting booed, you know, relentlessly. The the fight starts, you know, they're still booing him, still hating on Kobe, and then Kobe starts showing his heart, and then the ch- the the chance shift from booing Kobe Kobe to chanting his name the entire arena. So that was really cool to see. 
Now, a lot of people got annoyed with me in the aftermath because I'd posted that, you know, if you were basking in the loss of Colby Covington, this was part of the script. Like, he wants people to hate him. He wants people to cheer against him. I mean, look at the music that he comes out to. If you're a WWE fan, this should be familiar to you. But, like, <laughs> people, people got upset with me. They thought I was patting the guy on the back. It's like, I'm not patting the guy on the back, but you've got to understand that if you are having a visceral reaction to him, that's part of the game plan, and you know you're kind of you're kind of a mark if that's the case. Do you agree with that, or do you think that uh, people should be hurling criticism at him because of this persona that he's put on? Um, I think it's a little bit of both, man. I mean, everybody everybody's going to react a certain way to what anything, you know, no matter what you say, people are going to react. And Kobe's actually done a good job to get people, you know, interested whether they want him out or not. I mean, he's doing his thing, so. I don't know. <laughs> I just think, aside from his whole persona thing, I think he's a, he's a very tough fighter and he has a lot of heart. And I, I got nothing but respect for that. So, you know, his persona is his persona, whatever. But he went out there and he showed his heart, and I got a lot of respect for that. I still think that he has the best chance of beating Usman of anybody in the top four in that division, personally. Um, really? Yeah, I, I do. I think that in terms of matchup, um, I think Colby is basically as close to Usman as you'll get in terms of matchup. They're both volume guys. Um, Colby showed that he had power this week, too. I was surprised by um, how much he had actually hurt Usman in the fight. I thought that he would probably rely more on his gas tank and not uh, not you know try to beat him with power, but he, he tagged him a couple times. Yeah, they were going back and forth, man. Did you see the uh, fight motion of that fight? I haven't yet. Is, is it online? Yeah, it's crazy. They, they're... They're going after each other. It's it's really cool to see. Really cool. Do you think Jorge Masvidal deserves the next shot? I think that'd be a really interesting fight. I think uh, money wise, it makes the most sense for the pay, for the UFC and for the champions. Um, whether he deserves deserves it, I, I think he does. I mean, he's what is he on a four fight win streak now? Um, as a three and three this year. Yeah, he had lost his okay. previous fight to Thompson in 2017, and now he's won three in a row. Okay, so, I mean, might as well uh, bring those two belts together. <laughs> they, they absolutely. Um, and finally, um, watching Max Holloway's performance, uh, sorry, uh, Alexander Volkanovsky's performance against Max Holloway, a guy that uh, had won, I think, 12, 13 in a row at uh, featherweight. Do you get anything out of that, watching a guy like Holloway lose, to, you know, with a strategic game plan against um, Volkanovsky for your fight with John Jones? It was definitely an inspirational performance from uh, Alexander for me. Um, anything's possible on any night, and uh, with the right game plan, the right composure, the right you know everything, you could unanimously defeat a champion. It did, you know it's it's not impossible. So it was cool to see. All right, Dominic. Well, pleasure speaking with you. And uh, hopefully we can catch up soon. Uh, I'll be seeing you in Houston in February and uh, greatly looking forward to it. It's going to be a fun fight yourself, John Jones, for the Undisputed Light Heavyweight Championship of the world. No doubt, man. I really look forward to it. can't wait. That was Dominic Reyes, who will be facing John Jones for the Undisputed Light Heavyweight Championship of the world. Now, before we wrap up with our final TSN MMA show that I guess isn't a year-end review show, uh, our final, I guess, week-to-week show, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, get joined by my co-host, Joseph Valtellini, the one and only, who's in the Netherlands right now for Glory Collision 2, Badr Hari versus 
Rico Verhoeven. He couldn't join me in studio this week as a result, but uh, I can't have the last show of the year without Bazooka Joe joining us on the show, so he joins us now on the TSN MMA show. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to introduce this week's guest. Joining me now from Arnhem in the Netherlands in advance of Glory Collision 2, the big rematch between Rico Verhoeven and Badr Hari. It's none other than my co-host Joe Valtellini because we're wrapping up the year and I wanted to make sure that you were on the last show. Yeah, I had to. I had to. You know, it's about uh, 5 p.m. here my time and I'm a little jet-lagged, you know, so I'm feeling the time difference, but the event has just been so much hype around here. I mean, if those who watch kickboxing to have Rico and Botter fighting again, it's, it's, it's massive. We're expecting close to 30,000 people. You know, the city's all hyped for us. So uh, it's, a big, it's a big time for kickboxing. One person that I asked last week if they were going to be in attendance is Jermaine Durandame, who's coming out to the event. Yeah, is she? She's, she's going to make it out? Yeah, that's what she told me last week, and uh, she didn't take a ton of damage in that fight, so uh, I, I expect her to be there. That's it. I hope so. It would be nice to get I mean, uh, most of our glory events now, we seem to get a lot of guys out. I mean, we've had, you know, Kamara Usman out. We've had Colby Covington at the same event. You know, they behaved, obviously. But, That's uh, nice. Yeah, it's been great to see a lot of the UFC fighters really want to come out and, uh, you know, support kickboxers. And, I mean, us kickboxers, too. We all love MMA. We all support it. And I think some of the big mistakes people make, and especially in combat sports, is they only feel like they had to be loyal to one. And you should be watching all combat sports, whether it's boxing, MMA. If you're passionate in the fan, you know, there's always something to watch. So you've mentioned Colby Covington and Usman and Jermaine Durandame. Yep. So why don't we just uh, dive right into UFC 245? Yeah, I was in Vegas I'm for that it. event, and uh, you said that you got a chance to watch it. Um, the main event was awesome. Uh, one of the better fights of the year, uh, one of the, especially in the, at the championship level. Uh, what did you think about that, and what did you think of the stoppage? I mean, it's a world title fight. I get it. Um, let's talk about the stoppage first. I mean, I, I would have liked to have seen a little bit longer. I mean, especially being in the last round, especially looking at the scorecards. I mean, they had it almost squared up going into that last round. Um, I mean, world title fight, sometimes as a, as a fan, you would say, you know, that's a great stoppage. And I understand that. But when you're that person in there you, and you're Colby Covington, you want to go out on your shield. Um, after all that, you know, talk, the build-up, the, the excitement, I mean, at that point, you kind of give the fighter a little bit longer to go. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I understand Colby's frustration with it, but I think Usman, anyways, was uh, on his way to winning. Yeah, I think once the scorecards were revealed at the end, that it was 3-1 Usman, 3-1 Covington, and then 2-2, you know, if that's a 10-8 round, well, even if it's a 10-9 round, um, Usman's going to win that fight, and that would have been a 10-9 yeah. round at the very least. Uh, 10-8 round would have been a majority um, decision, I guess, as opposed to a split decision, so it wouldn't have made that much of a difference. Um, yeah. So, But it just feels better not to say you lost by TKO or by knockout, right? I mean, a lot of fighters take pride in that, so I, I get where Colby's a little frustrated, and he's got every right to be. Yeah, I agree. I, it's one of those stoppages where... I'm not mad about it. Like I think it's. I think you could have let it go on later, or you could have stopped it. He was knocked down twice. Um, yep. There was 50 seconds left, so it's not like a, there's eight seconds left. And uh, you know he, he just needs to weather the last of a storm. He would have had to take 50 seconds of damage. Um, yeah. And I you know mean, he was shooting a takedown. That and, way, right? What's that? I said it was probably heading that way. Yeah. So I get why the stoppage was there. Mm-hmm. Certainly. 
they could have let it go on another 10 seconds or so. I mean, if Usman would have kept hitting him, but who knows? Maybe Colby would have shot that double, hung on, gotten back to his feet, and yeah. been able to kind of separate and let the fight end uh, at the bell. But who knows? I mean, it's one of those things where you want to... The, the goal of the referee, and the, the job of the referee, rather, is to save the fighters from taking damage they don't need to take. Uh, and if he was going to lose that yeah. fight anyways... You may as well spare him some damage. And I get what you're saying. You want to go out on your shield. Uh, you don't want a referee to have to stop that. But uh, at the end of the day, I think that, you know, I, I, you have to be okay with that decision, re, you know, regardless. As, unless you're Colby Covington or his corner, you you kind of have to say, you know, maybe that was the right thing to do. Yeah. But it, it almost, in a weird way, acts in Colby's, you know, favor. Because 100%. now he can say, hey, they stopped it today. He can kind of talk his way into a rematch, which, you know, is great for Colby, which is great for the sport. You know, he brings a lot of eyes. So I think it actually works in his favor that they stopped it a little bit premature if you look at it that way. Well, I want to ask you a question because I put a poll out um, mm-hmm. on social media. Who who of the top four do you think has the best chance of beating uh, Kamaru Usman? So it's Woodley, Colby Covington, Leon Edwards, and Jorge Masvidal. Of those four, who do you think has the best chance of beating uh, Usman? Uh, hmm. Say say the four again for me. Woodley, Covington, Leon Edwards, and Masvidal. Um, I, I'm going to have to go with Woodley. I think Woodley. I mean, I think you're going to need someone that can deal with pressure well, someone that's got good distance control, um, and that has that power threat. I mean, you have to make Usman scared to come in and want to close that distance, and I think that explosiveness, that... You know, Tyron Woodley does have would probably be one of his toughest. Um, I think, you know, someone like Masvidal could be good, but I just think he's not a big welterweight. So, I mean, I think you need a, a bigger presence. Um, Leon Edwards, I think I need to see a little bit more from him. I know he's, he's in big talks, but, uh, yeah, I think my final answer is going to be Woodley. What about you? So Woodley actually got the least amount of votes in the, in the poll. Um, really? Yeah. Who do you think? I would say Colby. I mean, the only guy that we haven't seen Usman face out of those four and uh, and beat is Masvidal. Masvidal is the only one who hasn't fought. Uh, he yeah. beat Edwards pretty handily, but it was about five years ago, and Edwards has gotten so much better. But so has Usman. Uh, yeah. And then you look at Woodley, and, I mean, that was a clean sheet that he put up on yeah. Woodley. But that doesn't mean that yeah. Woodley, with his hand being fixed, might not have a better chance next time around. Yeah. Uh, but Colby, Colby hung with him. But Colby know? looked like he could have... Yeah. You know, he, he he could have come very close to beating him in those early rounds. I thought he won those first two rounds, and I thought he looked good. But uh, yeah. it's funny. That fight went exactly how I thought it was going to be. Uh, I thought there were going to be no takedowns. I thought it was going to be stand-up with lots of yeah, volume. Yeah, called that. Yeah, it was exactly how I said it was going to be. And I said, basically, the better person that day is going to be the one who wins. And I said, the cardio is overplayed. I think that there's not a whole lot of evidence that Usman's going to slow down over five rounds. There's evidence that Colby can go five rounds, uh, but there's also yeah. evidence that Usman can go five rounds. He had a, a grinding fight against uh, Woodley for five rounds. Looked great. He had five rounds against um, Demian Maia, five rounds against RDA. So there was no evidence that Usman started to slow down as fights dwindled down, at least you know, to any sort of major effect. So I thought that that would kind of be a moot point and that basically whoever was the better person that day would win, and that's how it played out. Yeah, yeah. But even here in Woodley, though, in the in his fight, he said he wasn't his best, wasn't trained. I know there's a lot of, you know, retro excuses, but uh, yeah, I th- I just don't know who you think should be next for Kamara. I think that's a, a tough question. I think probably Leon Edwards. I, I think that Masvidal probably has the best argument to be next in line, but Masvidal's camp isn't interested in that fight right now. I've spoken to his. He's chasing the money, the bigger fight. Yeah, right? he wants to wait and see what happens with Connor. And then he's also looking at maybe a Nick Diaz fight. Like they want, they want a fight that's going to make the money. They want a fight that's Which I you know. Agree with. 
Yeah. I mean, you only have a finite amount of time in the sport. Masvidal's been around forever. He's earned that. Um, but I think if, was, if Masvidal came out and said, you know what, I want a title shot, I want to show that I can be the best in the world, then they would give it to him. But uh, yeah. I, I actually think that this, this is great news for Leon Edwards because Leon Edwards is like the, you know, he's, he's basically the only one that seems like he wants this fight. And I don't think they're going to give it to Woodley. I think if Woodley, even though Woodley's the number one contender, I don't think they're going to run that one back uh, without Woodley taking another fight. So I think that that's probably the most likely scenario is you have... Edwards potentially getting the next shot, uh, depending on what happens again with Connor. Because if Connor loses to Cerrone, then that whole fight goes down the tubes for Masvidal, and the title fight might be his best yeah. option. Hmm. But what about uh, a Leon Edwards versus Woodley for a number one contender, uh, contender shot? You could do that too. I think it just depends on how soon Usman wants to get back in there. But from everything, I spoke to Leon Edwards on the weekend, and from all indications, Woodley's not signing those papers right now. Like Woodley. Uh, said he didn't want to go to London to fight Edwards, and Edwards said, cool, let's fight in the U.S., and then Woodley still hasn't signed the paperwork. So that actually, because Woodley still hasn't signed on, signed on to fight Edwards, I actually think that works to Edwards' advantage because Edwards can now say, like, listen, I should be next in line for a title shot. Masvidal doesn't want it, so who else is it? It's like, you know, who else is there? And it's, it's good to hear because, I mean, a few, I would say the, maybe about six months ago, the whole story was that Leon Edwards wasn't getting attention. He wasn't getting enough credit for what he was doing. And it's good to hear that he's in talk because, I mean, he, he actually deserves it and, and, and has put his work in. So, I mean, it's nice to see him finally get some credit in the division. That's the fight of the four that actually intrigues me the most. And I don't think that Edwards has as good of a chance of beating uh uh, sorry, beating Usman as Colby does. Um, you know, I know Colby just lost to Usman, but I think just from a matchup standpoint, that Colby has probably the best matchup with him. But uh, then again, we ha- we've seen such improvements from Leon Edwards that maybe I'm underestimating him. I- I've underestimated him for probably about two yeah. years, so maybe he's just yeah. continuing to get better you to a point where he can win. More. You need to see more from Leon Edwards. I feel. I mean, even when he does fight, though, it, he doesn't get that big attention behind him, so we kind of overlook him. But those are sometimes the most dangerous fighters you can come across because they get overlooked a lot of times. I feel exactly the same way about Volkanovski. You know, heading into that yeah. fight, I even said that to Volkanovski before the fight. I go, I still feel like we haven't seen exactly what you can do. I feel like we can see, like we're going to see more from you on, on Saturday night. And, he, and I was right. Um, now, I, I, I thought that Holloway would win that fight, but, I mean, that was like Kick City. You must have been uh, smiling yeah, ear to I ear actually, watching that fight. I actually picked Volkanovski to win. There you go. I mean, I, when I played my little side bets and my little parlays, I had uh, Volkanovski winning. I just think that... Um, his ability to close distance was, was one of his best strikes. And you saw him, like, and I'll get a little technical with but he was shifting his stance, switching stances to close the distance, where usually guys with Max Holloway could control the distance. But Volkanovski had the perfect plan to chop away the legs and then close that distance. And he just did it perfectly. I mean, that's a, that's a perfect performance. I dug up a fun stat that um, in his last two fights against Holloway and Aldo, Volkanovski's landed more leg kicks than Aldo did in his entire UFC career so far. Oh, I was I was loving it. You know that every time he scored a low kick, I was cheering and I was getting excited. So I'm like, we're finally seeing the use of good style timing low kicks in MMA. So I was like, could have been a little better. Don't get me wrong. You could have attacked a little bit more, different timings and things. But regardless, it set up the win for him, right? Well, it feels like against tall strikers that that's kind of the way to go in the UFC. Like, if you don't have the threat of the takedown that much, like, for example, when uh, Israel fights 
Yoel Romero. Now, Yoel's not necessarily known for leg kicks, but leg kicks are probably the way. I mean, we saw Wilness do it in glory. That's probably the way that you're going to beat a guy like Israel in a striking fight, you know, in a fight that's mostly contested on the feet. But he, I mean, you're talking about an advanced kickboxer, too, who has fought a lot of good low kickers. But in MMA, they're not used to it as much. But even... I'm going to mention a fight with Jose Aldo. At that point, when he was fighting uh, Marlon Moraes, I was yelling at the TV because he wasn't throwing low kicks, you know? So, I mean, I think a low kick against Moraes would have given him that little edge to, to get the, the edge of the decision. He stopped throwing leg kicks. Like, if you go and look totally, at the stats totally of his last stopped. four or five fights, it's like single digits every fight. It's unbelievable. I've never, like, that was his number one weapon, and he's just basically abandoned it. And I, I have no idea why. Maybe he has, like, a reconstructed knee that we don't know about or something, but I just don't know why he would stop throwing, like, his number one weapon. Yeah, I mean, he wanted to get into professional boxing. I get it, but, I mean, he was just so effective with the low kicks. And, I mean, I still personally thought he won that decision against Marias, but regardless, I mean, it's just very frustrating to see him not use his kicks. I mean, you got that former soccer. I think he played at a professional level. I mean, his kicks are one of his best weapons. He can get hit less and, and just do a lot more damage. It's, it's just frustrating to see someone like him not use them. And Nunez versus Duranda may played out probably in the way that it should have if you're trying to win that fight from uh, Nunez's standpoint. Um, basically, he just took her down. Duranda may had no answer for the takedown, and uh, basically, she had taken her down more than I think. Durandame had been taken down her entire UFC career, and it's just in, in the first three rounds or something, I think Nunes had taken her down more than all of the takedowns she, she had uh, absorbed in the UFC. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, she just really showed her championship mentality. I mean, I mean, you know for your knockout power, you knock out cyborg. I mean, you got to feel excited, but she kept her composure. She, she had to do what a champion had to do. And just hearing her, I mean, it wasn't her most spectacular performance, but in her post-fight interview, she was really cool to hear her say, see, and, and being proud that she can go for the full five rounds. Um, she just showed a different side. And I think as a champion, sometimes, you know, people forget. You know, and I think she just did a great job at sticking to her game plan, knowing where her strengths were, and got a solid, dominant win. So um, this is our last, uh, our last event of the year. Do you have the, the lines in front of you? Do you want to do our last picks? Or, do you want, or should I just uh, hand you the victory because you haven't had a chance to look them over yet? Uh, no, I have a few. I mean, I just some of the few fights that uh, I was looking forward to. And I, I haven't had a real good chance to kind of break down the card. I've been so collision-focused right now. But uh, when I pulled up the card, I'm, there's some good fights that are kind of under my radar that I didn't really think that were coming up. I mean, I think the first uh, one, I didn't know Ozdemir and Rakic were fighting. I think that's a phenomenal fight. I've been really into Rakic for a little bit because he's, he's a finisher. I think his last, uh, I don't know, one of his, was it a, a nice head kick finish he had? Yeah, the one against uh, against Jimmy Manoa. Yes, that, that head kick. From that moment, I was like, I like this guy. He strikes well. He strikes with confidence. He strikes with risk. You know, he takes that risk to get the knockout. So I think that's one of the fights I'm really looking forward to on that card. Well, let's uh, let's take a look at our, our previous picks. Uh, you did well, and I did not. Uh, uh, actually, sorry. Too. Well, no, we, I think you, you won more than I did. Maybe. No, I don't think so. Actually, yes, I, you did because I, I had a push. Calvillo was a push, and uh, then I had Sales and Lad. And I don't understand why I had Sales and Lad because I liked Bryce Mitchell in that fight. But I guess for whatever reason, on that day, I must have liked Matt yeah. Sales. But uh, so I lost that one, and then I got a push. So that means I, I'm down ten. And then you won with Rob Font, but lost with Struve. So you went, you lost like two bucks or something. Something okay. along those lines. 
So whatever, not a big deal. But you're 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 up by a lot. So I I need to like do if I want to win this, I need to string together some sort of crazy winning parlay. So uh, what do you got? All right, you have something crazy. I'm looking at the odds now for for the event. Um, I was surprised that Rakic is a favorite. To be honest with you, he's a, a minus one forty favorite, which was surprising to me. Um, but I think my one pick, um, I just think Frankie Edgar. I think I got to go with Frankie as an underdog at uh, plus 155. I think that uh, Frankie just mixes it up really well. His experience could play in his favor. I know he's taking it more on last notice, but every time we've seen Frankie do that, he's been successful. Um, I just think Frankie Edgar gets it done. All right. Uh, well, I'm going to go with Edgar in a parlay for my first pick. It's going to be okay. Edgar and Matt Schnell at plus 640. Matt Chanel is like a oh, two to one yeah. underdog against Pantoja, and I've just loved what I've seen from Matt Chanel as of late. So I'm going to go with that. Yeah. So plus six forty for that one. And uh, what's your next pick? Well, I'm I'm torn between this one because uh, I really like the Tanner Bozer. I like the way he fought. I like the way he moved. He switched his stance, his stances, and you know I thought it was a he was going to do some big things. But to take on Surreal Ghana, I was like ah, I've seen him fight. He's a big prospect. Um, so that one's going to be a tough one uh, for me to pick. But I think I'm going to have fun. It's the end of the year. I mean, it's uh, my last pick. I already won. And I'm just going to support this kid because I think he's um, a good up-and-coming talent. I've, I've been following his career for a while. We talked about training together. So I'm going to take the dog in Charles Jordan. I think uh, just I've been following him and we've been friends for a little while. So I want to see him do well. I don't want to put any bad energy for him. This is a big fight for him. So I'm going to support the Canadian on that one. All right. Uh, that's a solid pick. And I, I, he's on our show this week. So uh, obviously that, that would be a, a lot of fun if he was uh, able to do that. Um, all right. So I'm going to, uh, for my last pick, do like a very chalky parlay. Um, All right. And we'll see how this... Actually, you know what? I'm going to make it not so chalky. So I'm going to go with Cyril Gan, Thung Wu Choi, Ryan, ben, uh, Ryan Benoit, Kyung Ho Kong, and Saeed Nurmagomedov for plus 684. <laughs> Jeez. All right. I like it. It's basically the same odds as Edgar and Schnell. Does that put you close to me? <laughs> Sorry? Yeah, it is. Does that put you close to me or no? I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll find out. I haven't, done the, I haven't done the math on it yet. <laughs> So, yeah, there we go. We'll, we'll see how it goes. So it's kind of chalky, but there's two, like, Saeed Nurmagomedov and Benoit are, like, even money. So, uh, you know, it's it's not not overly chalky. Yeah, I but like I, I like that Charles Jordan pick. I think that that's going to be an interesting one because I think the yeah. line is probably a little bit higher than it should be for, for Duho Yeah, Choi. I don't just don't think they're respecting him enough to see him at a, a plus 250, you know? That's a, that's a big gap. And I think he really rises to the occasion. He's fought big names. Um, you know, up and coming. I just think, and if it's going to be a, a striking match, man, Jordan can mix it up really well and, and be spectacular on the feet. So I like him. I like my picks. And that's what it's going to be. It's going to be mostly a striking match. But uh, Choi with a, basically a, almost a two-year layoff and uh, coming off two straight losses. So Choi actually hasn't had a win in uh, like three and a half years. So it's interesting so that's to... Our, that's our shot for a Canadian boy to step up. Yeah, like I don't think Alexander Volkanovsky was in the UFC the last time that uh, Duho Choi had a win. I'm going to look that so up, actually. What do you actually. think of that uh, Uzdemir Rakic line? Do you agree with uh, Rakic being a favorite? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, it's not a matter of if I agree, but it's based on public perception, right? And I think that the public perception is that Rakic is a big up-and-comer. He's undefeated. Um, I think the line's probably where it should be. It should be probably close to even. 
And uh, with a little bit of the public push, I guess that's why Rakic is minus 140. Um, yeah. But you know, it's it's one of those ones where, like, if Ustavir was like plus 150, I think that's where it's worth a look. At this rate, I would just kind of stay away from it, I think, and just kind of yeah, wait that's and see. Why I did. Yeah. I'm excited for it regardless. As a fan, I'm excited for it, but my betting odds are staying away. What's uh, What was your favorite moment of the year? Do you have one? Oh, that's hard. That's too hard for me to pick off, off the top of my head. Let's go, we'll start with you. Why don't you let me know? What's yours? Uh, I think it's probably probably the flying knee from Masvidal. Just like the, if, if yeah. I want to take a singular moment, I think that that was just so crazy because you got an undefeated guy that a lot of people think is going to be in title contention when he joins the UFC going out like that. It's just so rare to see something like that. I mean, and there's also the fact that I was with Israel when that happened and I had no idea what was going on. Like just all of the different like factors from that thing <laughs> make it kind of yeah, an, yeah, a pretty yeah. memorable moment for me. Yeah, that's, that's a tough question for me. It's a, I don't even know if I can pull something from the top of my head, to be honest with you. I'm just trying to think if anything stood out or any of the fights that popped out for me. Um, I mean, it was really cool for me to see Israel Adesanya, you know, kind of make his rise so quickly within a, you know, the time he left kickboxing. So to me, that was kind of a proud moment for us kickboxers uh, to see him kind of rise up the way he has. And I mean, I interviewed the, the man who beat him twice today. I mean, I talked to Alex Pereira. We actually talked about, you know, that kind of fight, uh, um, with Adesanya, he, he would love it, you know? So, um, yeah, I just think it's a proud moment for us in, in, in the sport that I love so much. So, yeah, that might be one of my tops. That's a good answer. I mean, especially considering uh, the, the kickboxing background. I like that. Who would have thought, right? I mean, and as, yeah, I, as exactly. we mentioned earlier with the leg kicks with Israel, I mean, Israel, because of the kickboxing background, would probably just counterpunch every, every leg kick that someone threw at him in the UFC, yeah. right? It's, it's a little bit different in kickboxing because you're probably I mean, a, probably- a little bit... Yeah, one of his losses in kickboxing was to Jason Wilmus, and Jason Wilmus is a forward pressure fighter with low kicks. Mm-hmm. But in MMA, with a small glove and the ability to move, it would be probably a little bit different. But yeah, I think yeah, it's a tough one, but that, that's probably up there for sure. All right, man. Well, it's a pleasure doing this with you as always, and uh, I'm looking forward to awesome, more next year. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, we got to make sure everyone listening, as well as yourself, Mr. Bonsetter, uh, watch Collision 2. It's going to be on UFC Fight Pass. Um, so yeah, get on, watch, listen to my beautiful voice, calling, yelling. Uh, we we staff the card, so we're excited for it. So in Canada, you have to you have to order it. Is that right? Is it a pay per view? Um, uh, if you have UFC Fight Pass, yes. Uh, in Canada, I think you can buy it off the pay per view. Cool. Um, if you're in the U.S., um, I think it'll be on, available for you on UFC Fight Pass. All right, cool. Well, thanks for this, Joe. And um, right, are you are you allowed to make? Are you allowed to make a, a, a prediction for the uh, the main event, or are you forbidden from well, doing so? I mean, I've been trying to stay, I'm trying to stay a little bit neutral, but uh, this being an MMA show, and um, I can give you my prediction of the way I think it's going to go. I think uh, maybe Botter might have the first few rounds in the books. I feel you know Rico's going to have to stay patient. He's going to have to respect Botter's power, but I think when it if it goes into three, four, and five, that's where Rico will take over. So. I'm going to leave my prediction at that. So could so if Bader wins, do you think an early finish is his best uh, if, path? I think if Bader wins, he, it, it's by finish. And if Rico wins, I have a feeling it could either be a decision or I think his pressure, the size, his ability to stay in the pocket will could wear Bader out. And I saw them today in the, uh, the media shoots and the interviews 
know, Rico's a lot bigger, thicker guy, so that could probably, you know, and Rico's known for fighting five rounds, so I think that could play in his favor. All right, Joe. Well, thanks for this, and uh, I'll see you All in the right, new year. Rick, Happy and holidays. And we'll see everyone. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and uh, I'm excited for another year. Thanks, Joe, and thanks to everybody listening this year to the TSN MMA show. We appreciate your patronage. We'll be back soon. We have a, uh, an end-of-year show that I'm doing with some journalists, as I mentioned earlier in the show. So uh, l- tune in for that. We appreciate it. And uh, thanks to everybody who's listened in 2019 and will listen beyond. We appreciate all of your patronage. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.